0: Okay, I think that's everybody. Okay, Okay. good morning everyone. Um, fall is upon us.
1: Um, it's very, yeah! <laughs> uh,
0: it's a very providential call to worship this morning about longing to be in the house of the Lord. And it's good for us to remember that. <laughs> Our house here is not a physical um, temple or building, but uh, ultimately we look to Christ. So let's stand, if you will, this morning, and we will call to worship. If, I'll read the bold section if you'll read the um, non-bold. What's that called? I don't know. Uh, this uh, call to worship is taken from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, as yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts, trusts in you. You'll turn with me to song number four. We'll sing Rock of Ages.
1: Rock of Ages. Rock of
0: This morning is taken from Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, "Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. I like how the confession puts it. It says that you'll see there it says, Abide by all the things written in the law. So this is personal, entire, exact, and perpetual obedience. Those are, that's a lot of words, but basically it's the highest standard. We must fulfill the law perfectly to be made right with God. This was what was given to Adam in the garden, obey God and receive life, and this is the standard for you and me, and as we know, we fall short of this. So this morning, we may not rely on the law with our right, uh, in regards to our right standing before God, but May it act as a mirror to point us to Christ and our need for forgiveness. So would you take a moment with me silently to confess our sins before God? Amen. If you want to turn with me to song number five, we'll sing Solid Rock.
1: My hope is built. All around my soul gives way, he is all my hope and stay, on Christ the solid lock I stand This alone, fall list to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I sin, all other round is sinking sand. All other round is sinking
0: sand. Our assurance of pardon this morning is. the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen. Let's um, pray together this morning. Dear Lord, we come before you this morning. We thank you for Father, Son, and Spirit, for um, the Son coming and becoming a curse for us as the last and better Adam, fulfilling all the requirements of the law so that in His active obedience in fulfilling the law, in His passive obedience in suffering the punishment that we deserve, that by faith in Him we might be made right, that we might not fear the curse of God, but might be assured that on the last day we will be saved, that we have eternal life, and that in Christ we have no condemnation. So help us this morning to not rely on the law, but to point us to Christ in His person and His work. And um, we also pray for our brother Daryl for the surgery that he recently had. Pray that you would um, heal him. We pray also for the church in Utah that was recently planted. We pray that you would bring growth to them and by your spirit um, strengthen and mature them. Uh, We thank you for this day that you have made. We pray that we would rejoice and be glad in it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Our confession of faith this morning is taken from the 1689 Confession of Faith on the section of Christ the Mediator. And as we read, Galatians talks about this blessing um, to Abraham. It even says in places that the Scriptures preach the Gospel to Abraham. We read in places like Hebrews that Abraham had faith. We'll see this morning Stephen talk about these Old Testament saints. And so the Confession of Faith this morning is really trying to answer the question of how were people in the Old Testament saved, right? Christ had not yet come. How were they saved? And so we'll read this morning of the retroactivity of the, um, the work of Christ. They looked forward to Christ. We look back on Him. So if you'll read with me um, the section there. Although the price of redemption was not actually paid by Christ till after His incarnation, Yet the virtue, efficacy, and benefit thereof were communicated to the elect in all ages, successfully from the beginning of the world, in and by those promises, types, and shadows, wherein he was revealed and signified to be the seed which should bruise the serpent's head and the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, being the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen. Amen. If you guys want to open up your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 6, i um, have been going through the book of Acts, and last week we covered six verses. The plan this week is to cover 66 verses. <laughs> so, I don't know if you're into numerology at all, but that might not be a good sign. 666, six, six. okay, sorry. Um... We'll be in Acts chapter 6, we'll be starting at verse 8, and the goal is to get all the way through chapter 7. So hopefully as we kind of zoom out a little bit, we'll try to pick up some of the high points from this section. And as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've been trying to see these not just as the acts of mere men, but as the acts of the risen Lord Christ, that He, upon His ascension, He's poured out His Spirit and is building His church. And like we talked about last week, there's been external conflicts, internal conflicts, external conflicts, internal conflicts. And this is sort of the pinnacle, the climax of those conflicts. We'll see today the first Christian martyr, the first person in this church that died for their faith. um, The man Stephen, one of the deacons from last week. So we'll see him confronted by the religious leaders of the day. We'll see him put forth the answer to the accusations, and then we'll see him ultimately stoned to death for his belief and for really his accusations to them. So, And we'll see all this in this history of the Old Testament, really. We'll see Stephen ultimately point to the work of Christ. So I'm going to read some selected sections so you can either just listen or sort of follow along with me. I'll pray and then we'll look at the text. So starting in verse 8. Says, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of them who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, and of the Alexandrians, and of those of Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men, who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they brought before the council, and they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak against this holy place and the law. And jump down to chapter 7. So they bring him before the council, and the high priest says, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Before he lived in Haran. And said to them, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. If you jump down to verse 9. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over his household. If you jump to... Verse 23, we'll pick up with Moses. And when he, Moses, was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing them, seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brother would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. And on the following day he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, "Men." "'You are brothers. Why do you wrong each other?' But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, "'Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? "'Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday?' And at this Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush.' And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet. From the place which you are standing is holy ground. And if you'll jump with me to um, verse uh, 35, it says, This Moses, whom you rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing signs and wonders in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. And then if you'll jump with me lastly to... um, Verse 45, says, Our fathers in turn brought it in the tabernacle with Joshua when they dis, dis, sorry, dispossessed the nations that God drove before their fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. This is the most important part. And as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? And what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? Stephen says this to the council You stiff necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at them. And if you jump down, and it says, As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you this morning and we thank you for this beautiful morning again for this time that we get to set aside, not only in rest from worldly activities, but to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray that you'd be glorified in the reading and the teaching of your word and that ultimately Christ would be exalted and that faith would rise up in our hearts this morning. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So yeah, big section there. (laughs) Lots of verses, but um, lots of good things there. So, just to set the scene a little bit, as I kind of did before, this is Stephen, right? We talked last week about the deacons. He is one of those men that was set aside for this work. And we see him going about preaching and teaching, essentially. And the religious leaders, again, do not like this. And... This is similar to Jesus in a lot of ways. If you look at that kind of the end of chapter six, there's all these false accusations. There's all these witnesses that are conjured up, these um, false witnesses to try to impute Stephen with some sort of wrong. And so we can kind of see some parallels between Stephen's trial and even the trial of Christ. But ultimately, this was to stir the people up. This was to um, bring all these false accusations and we see him before the council there. And so just to kind of distill the accusations that they bring, we'll look at three things. Sorry. First, we'll look at the accusations of the council. Then we'll look at Stephen's answers to those accusations. And then we'll look at finally Stephen's accusation to these men and ultimately these Jews. So let's first look at the accusations. Two things. First, they bring these charges against Stephen, and we can kind of summarize them in this way. First, that Stephen was speaking against the temple, that he was speaking against the temple. And secondly, that he was speaking against the law and against Moses. So we're not really given what Stephen said here. We don't really know his words, um, where they're coming up with these things. But as we get into it, hopefully we'll see why they may have thought these things, but we're ultimately... Wrong. And we, we just have to understand that in that day, the temple was the center of worship, right? It was where the sacrifices were, it was where the priests were. That is where worship and atonement and all these things took place. So it was very central. And the law, as we see in the Gospels, was a very important part of religious life. And Moses was a very important religious figure. And so we see them come bring these accusations before Stephen. So those are the accusations. And they ask him, In verse 1 of chapter 7, are these things so? And so we'll see Stephen's answer. So it's kind of interesting. We've seen Peter have these very pointed answers to uh, the leaders, right? He'll say, you murdered him. (laughs) God raised him up. And so we just see a different approach here, not necessarily better or worse, just a different approach that Stephen uses. And he really dives into the history of the Old Testament. And it's important to understand that these people, this council would have loved to hear the history of Israel. They would have loved this. This would have sort of won their ear, if you will, right? They would have loved to hear the stories of Abraham and Joseph and Moses. And so Stephen is sort of drawing their ear to hear what he has to say. And ultimately, this is to show them the truth, and ultimately to show them that this is not new information, that they've missed something important. So let's look at Stephen's first answer. So they've accused him of being against the temple. But Stephen's answer ultimately is that God's God's presence is not limited to the temple or the land of Israel. That God's presence is not limited to the temple. So these authorities would have seen the temple as the exclusive place where God's presence was. But Stephen is going to show that that's not true. So what is a temple? Let's ask that question. What's a temple? We don't really have... Um, temples today, right? We lived in Utah for a couple years. The Mormons, they would build their temples where they would do all sorts of strange things. But what is a temple from the biblical perspective, right? Simply put, it is a special dwelling place of God among men, right? A special dwelling place of God among men. And the first picture of this really is in the Garden of Eden, which might sound strange (laughs) if you haven't heard that before. But what was the Garden of Eden, right? God had created the heavens and the earth, everything that was made, but his special dwelling place was in Eden. It was a special dwelling place of God among men. So we can kind of think of Eden as a, a picture of a temple, if you will. And then we have the tabernacle, we have the temple built by Solomon, the second temple, all these things. So this is what a temple is. It's a special dwelling place of God among men. So like I said... This council and the people of this day had a false idea of the temple. They had come to ultimately worship the temple. They didn't allow the temple to point them to the God of the temple. They had worshipped the temple and its accoutrements and the gold and all these things. And they thought that they were special because they had the temple. We can go and sin, and we can do whatever we want, but God dwells in our temple and in this land, and so nothing can ultimately happen to us. And Stephen, through his speech, if you kind of noticed it through the highlights that we hit, he is confronting this view that God is limited to the temple. If you look with me at verse 2, what does it say? The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he lived in Mesopotamia. So, in the time of Abraham there was no temple, and Mesopotamia is not the land of Canaan. So... Stephen is subtly pointing out that this presence of God is not limited to the temple or to the land, that God was with Abraham before the temple and before he was in the land. And we see another example of Joseph at verse 9. If you read with me, it says, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. So again, we see no temple, not in the land. He's in the land of Egypt, yet God is with him. So God's presence is not bound to the temple or to the land at all. And we see, um, maybe that's, <laughs> pull back on that. But in these instances, he's not bound to the temple because there is no temple. God is still working. And if we um, see finally in verse 30 through 33, we see, it says, Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him being Moses in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And we see in the burning bush, God appear to Moses, and he says, the ground on which you stand is holy. So again, this was not the temple. This was um, near Mount Sinai, it says. This was by a burning bush, but we see God is not limited to the temple. His presence is not limited. So, and we see this ultimately climaxed in what the prophet Isaiah says in verse 49, where it says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, and what is the place of my rest? So, Stephen here is sort of showing that God is not limited to the temple. That the temple was a shadow. It was a copy. It was a picture of something higher than itself, if that makes sense. It was a copy or a shadow of the heavenly temple. And ultimately, we see this pictured in Christ. What does John say in John 1? He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he says in verse 14 that the Word took on flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt there can be translated tabernacled. So he's saying the Word tabernacled among us. So we see in the person of Christ this sort of embodiment or this special dwelling place of God among men. In chapter 2 of John, Jesus says destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. They thought he was talking about the physical temple, but the disciples reflect on what happened and said he was speaking about the temple of his body. So we see here that Christ is the true temple. He is the true dwelling place of God among men. And if you think about the temple, what is it? It's where forgiveness of sins took place. It's where God's presence dwelt. This is what Christ came to do. There's this amazing story in Mark 5 where the guy is lowered from the roof in a hole like that, right? (laughs) He's lowered through this hole, and he says, what's easier to say? Heal this man, or your sins are forgiven. Christ is showing that he is the place where forgiveness of sins takes place, where God's presence dwells. And so we can say that in Christ's death, in his life, in his resurrection, that... The shadows have gone away. The temple is not needed. There's no more need for sacrifices or priests. Christ has come as the great high priest. The substance is here. The temple was always meant to point to Christ and his work and his people. And the council had failed to see this. So Stephen, in confronting their accusation, is showing that he was not speaking against the temple. He was showing what the temple pointed to, namely Christ. So that's the first answer of Stephen. The second answer is confronting the second accusation, which is that Stephen was against the law and against Moses. This one's a bit shorter. So what Stephen says is that the law and Moses actually pointed to Christ. And we see that most pointedly in verse 37, where he says, This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from your brothers. What does this mean? That Moses spoke about this coming prophet that would be greater than him, that would be rise up from among his brothers and would be this great prophet. And we see this fulfilled in Christ. What did Christ say? He didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. There's another great place in John 5 where Jesus says, "If you believed Moses, you would believe me." because he spoke of me. <laughs> it's kind of weird to think about, right? Moses talked about Jesus. <laughs> he didn't say that Jesus is not in the Old Testament, his name isn't, right? But Jesus can say that Moses spoke about him. That's amazing. This and we can see this in verse 37, he spoke about this prophet that would come after him that would be greater than him. So Stephen is not speaking against the law. He's not speaking against Moses. He's showing what the law and what Moses pointed to again, namely Christ. And there's a bit of irony going on. I don't know if you guys can pick it up, but in these people saying that Stephen is against the law and, the, and Moses, they are actually showing that in killing Christ, they are the ones that are against the law and against Moses. If the law and the Moses, well, sorry, the law and Moses pointed to Christ and they killed Christ, they are the ones that are against the law and against Moses, which is sort of ironic to think about here. So that sort of turns the corner from Stephen's kind of subtle answers. He's weaving these answers through the history of the Old Testament. And finally, Stephen sort of puts a point on it. And so finally, we'll look at Stephen's accusations. So he sort of hinted at one accusation that these people have failed to understand the temple rightly and failed to worship God rightly. But then sort of lastly, you've noticed this hopefully as we've gone through, that Israel has always rejected God's messengers. Israel has rejected God's messengers. We see this time and time again in the Old Testament, and we see Stephen sort of pick up on this. In verse 9, what's it say? And the patriarchs, these are the brothers of Joseph, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. Who was Joseph? He was this favored son, right? Remember he got this special coat with lots of colors. His brothers didn't like it. He tried to tell them dreams about how he was going to be exalted and they didn't like that. So he was sort of this messenger, this favored son of God that was persecuted by his brothers. We go on to Moses. What happens in that section we read? He tries to save his brothers he 's trying to be this savior to his people he 's also a favored son, right He was saved from the death of Pharaoh. remember they killed the the um the newborn children he was put in a basket this favored son that was saved and he tries to save his people and they reject him in this instance and Stephen, Stephen is sort of highlighting these favored sons that were rejected by their people and ultimately again, this comes to a point in verses fifty one through 53, where he talks about Christ, Jesus, being this favored Son of God, right? What does God say from heaven? This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. So Christ is also a favored Son who is ultimately rejected by his people. What's it say in John 1? He came to his own, and his own did not know him. So Stephen is sort of showing this pattern of Israel rejecting God's messengers. And if you want to turn with me to Matthew 21, if you have your Bibles, again, this sort of comes to a head in Christ's ministry. He's just cleansed the temple, he's cursed the fig tree, and his authority is being challenged by the Pharisees. And, um, in chapter 21 of Matthew, verse 33, he tells this parable. He says, "Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard, the master of this house, as we read in places like Isaiah 5, is God. It is Yahweh, it is um, the Father has planted this house and planted a vineyard, and this vineyard is Israel. And he put a fence around it, and he dug a wine press in it, and he built a tower, and he leased it to tenants, and he went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. So these tenants are the leaders of Israel. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. And finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And then Jesus sort of uses this parable to turn it back on the Pharisees. And he says, When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? And they said to him, He will put those wretches wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruit in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read the Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. So we see here these tenants of Israel again rejected the messengers, the prophets, Joseph, Moses, all these people God sent to Israel saying, Look to Christ. Don't look to the types. Look to the anti-type, Christ himself. And yet they killed the servants, they killed the messengers, and they did not produce the fruit. And so we can see Christ here, he is the sent one. He is the messenger from God, right? This ultimate son of God that would be sent to bring this message of repentance, of mercy to God's people. But what did they do? They murdered him. They killed him, they crucified him. And what do they do to Stephen in verses 54 through 60? They do the same thing. He, Stephen also is a messenger calling for them to repent and turn and they stone him to death. They kill him, he's the first martyr, and even in that we see this forgiveness. Remember Christ's words on the cross, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And we see Stephen say a similar thing, do not hold this against them. So, lots of information, lots of things there. Let's take a minute, let's take a step back, and let's try to apply these high truths of God's Word, of Stephen's speech, and try to um, glean some things from them. So, three things. First, we've already talked about this, that Christ is the true temple. This might sound weird, it might sound mystic, but we see that Christ is the special dwelling place of God among men. He came, the incarnation, God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And in his ascension at the right hand of the Father, his sending of the Spirit, he has built his church, this temple of God, this body of Christ, made up of living stones, as we talked about last week. And so the temple was always meant to picture a greater reality. It was not meant to be the end. It was meant to point to something greater than the temple. And these people had failed to see that, they had idolized the temple and they killed anyone that spoke against that. So we see that Christ is this true temple. And sort of secondly, judgment is coming. And you might say, Kendall, where are you getting this? Judgment is coming. We see an innocent man, Stephen, stoned to death. I mean, can you imagine being stoned to death for speaking the truth? We see... um, an innocent man and ultimately it's at the feet of the apostle paul he was not the, he was saul at that time right but we see him stoned to death for what he believed and i just say that judgment is coming because we serve a god of justice and so i think this should give us hope in in our sin and our suffering maybe it's persecution that we face that god is a just judge and i was reminded of revelation 6 if you want to turn there There's sort of an interesting um, picture that's given. And I think it's a comforting one, ultimately. In chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, we see these martyrs crying out, these ones that have died for their faith, saying, How long, O Lord? How long until you avenge us? And in verses 12 through 17, we see this final judgment pictured There's an interesting picture here, right? That on the last day, those that threw stones will be calling the stones to fall on them. Because they see the great lamb and they are aware of their sinfulness. They are aware of their guilt before a holy God and they are calling the stones. Those that threw stones are now calling the stones on themselves. And they are saying, who can stand? And if we're all honest with ourselves, the answer is none of us. Like we read in our confession of sin, no one can stand if they rely on the law. No one can stand before God because we are all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so the third point is that the only thing we're left to do is to turn to Christ. To turn to Christ. He is the true temple. He is the substance. He is where forgiveness is found. He is where righteousness is found. We don't need to look for these empty rituals, right? These empty things. And so it might be hard because we don't have a temple in our day, but we do this in other ways. We have these empty rituals. Maybe it's mysticism. Maybe it's emotional experience. Experiences where we're seeking to find God in these emotional highs. Or maybe it's the opposite of that. Maybe it's this dead orthodoxy, where we know these great truths about God, but we don't allow them to change our heart. We don't allow them to change our, the way we act, the way we love one another, the way we love God. And so we must leave these empty rituals, and we must turn to Christ. And the only way we can do this is by the Spirit of God, <laughs> by turning from our sin, by turning to Christ, and ultimately by, out of gratitude, serving Him obeying His commands, not to earn anything from Him, but because of what He's done. And so we can, in our sin and in our suffering, we can look to the new heavens and the new earth where the temple is God. It is Him dwelling amongst His people. We'll read that in our benediction this morning. And so we can trust that the temple is God and is the Lamb, and we can rest knowing that Christ has done this. He is the true temple. And we can rest in that this morning. So, would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you this morning humbled by the great truths of your word, humbled by um, our sin, Lord, how often we turn to empty rituals, to empty idols, and Lord, forgive us. Help us this morning to turn to the true and living God who has risen, has defeated death, and may we look to Christ, look to heaven, and in our sin and our suffering, in this present life, may we remember what Christ has won, that He is the true temple. May we worship Him in spirit and in truth, not just um, today, but every day, Lord. We, we look to You this morning. In Your name we pray. Amen. you guys want to stand with me, we'll sing song number one, Before the Throne.
1: For the throne. For the throne of God of love, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and thinks for me. My name is graven on his head. My name Oh! Word, I look and see Him there, the maiden end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the justice satisfied. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. The
0: benediction this morning is from Revelation 21. And you'll notice the word um, dwelling is also used, or tabernacle. So just notice that. Receive the benediction. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling or tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God and i saw no temple in the city for its temple is the lord god the almighty and the lamb grace and peace as you go from here amen, amen. core group tonight at 5:30 there will be pizza we will fellowship and get into it so